This is now the cold open, and we're you're gonna this finish. This is the, the pivot to ASMR. Mm-hmm. Say, welcome you're... to Trash Future eating. Milo Edwards has a bag of sun. No, (laughs) (laughs) no one's. Riley hates it, but I don't think the listeners do. I think it's just you. No, the listeners were all the all the listeners are going to leave, and we're going to be left with the horny ones. Just the horny ones are going to stay. Like Louis the Fifteenth thing of being like the podcast listeners. Same moi. (laughs) (laughs) Milo, hello, listeners. Milo was wearing well, a shirt act- with a high collar. It looks like a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that shirt's really weird. No, it's cool. It's not bad. No, at it's all. not that it's it's bad. It's just strange. It does have a very high collar and no, tight cuff. Six pounds from ASOS. I'm going to call a shirt. Yeah. It's meant to be worn with body armor over it. It's tactical. I should clarify, <laughs> Alice. It's not like a high collar collared shirt. It's like a kind of like half roll neck kind of vibe. Uh, it can't work out if it's a t-shirt like, or something else. It's a t-shirt that's meant for like sporty behavior. We don't no, know what kind of sporty terrible. behavior. But... Like the base layer? No, I'm thinking of more like the like stand collie you wear with white yeah. tie. Just bring those back. Oh, yeah. Like if, you, if that had an Under Armour logo on it, then you'd have like a gigantic fat neck and you'd be shouting at airport security. I look a bit oh. like I should be like cattle prodding someone in Logan's Run. <laughs> Are you out of the sun? How bites? are the crisps doing? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. So what I was going to say was that last night I Just was say uh, while finishing the sun bites. We can't start the I real episode while you still have them. I was organizing a show uh, in in Russian in London for this Russian comedian who doesn't speak English. He's never been to the UK before, and he's doing a bit of crowd work. And so it's all Russian crowd, right? And he asked this one woman where she lives. And she goes, well, I've just moved to London, but actually before that I lived in Maidstone for quite a while. And then like even the Russians in the room were like laughing at the concept of living in Maidstone. Um, and then he's like, wow, what, what's funny about that? Is it like a rough area? And then the woman goes, no, it was fine until all the fucking Romanians moved in. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Russians cancelled. Yeah, exactly. Maidstone will remain a Russian area as it always has been. <laughs> Look, that's Maid- actually Maidstone ha- is core Serbian territory, integral <laughs> since the 15th century. No, it's a- after as so what happened is Stalin, uh, he actually seeded a population of Russian speakers into Maidstone so that in future he would be able to seed it into the Soviet Union on the basis of protecting Russian speakers. It's a very good strategy. Milo is now finishing the crisps, which means the theme song can now come bitches. in immediately. Hey, welcome back to Trash Future. It's me, Riley. You may remember me from every other episode of this show. And I, of course, joined by uh, Milo and Nate here in studio. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hussein, somewhere in a different room, who will be joining us randomly as the recording goes on. No, he's actually here. He's going to be here the whole time, no, yeah, like here. all the <laughs> time, every he's, single episode. It's he's like here. This. He's silent. He's joining us via MindLink. Yeah, Hussein joining us he via MindLink. He is omnipresent. Uh, Alice joining us also by MindLink from yes. Glasgow. Mm-hmm. I know all, hear all, and see all. Um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And... Also, we have uh, Luke Savage, returning champion, here live in studio from the sunny beaches of Canada. Luke, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, guys? Oh, fine, fine, fine. You know, nothing, uh, nothing going on at all in my my home country. No, it's awfully boring here. Yeah, no, no pivotal, um, no pivotal political event happening. Ah, Hussein has g- gotten off mind. He's, he's continued to be here as he has been all along. Yeah, yeah he's I've just been here, being all along. here slightly yeah. more. I've been around. Loudly. Oh, he's, wearing, he's wearing the t-shirt and everything. Mm. So, um, I love branded content. <laughs> yes. So um, if you listen to our episode with uh, Rob Russo, you'll learn, you've learned about everyone in Canada that you shouldn't vote for. 
the liberals, the conservatives, and the PPC. But then there are two more parties. Uh, we have the uh, Greens, uh, who's a leader, Elizabeth May, just had a single-use plastic straw photoshopped out of her hand after a picture was taken of her with one. Uh, so, Luke... <laughs> she had the hand photoshopped into blackface instead. Yes. <laughs> so, Luke, can you tell me, what will Elizabeth do as Prime Minister now that all the Canadian MAGA people are going to vote for her to trigger the SJ dubs with plastic straws? Well, first, I have to chastise you for your Anglo-chauvinism because you've actually managed to erase the Bloc Québécois. Oh, right, of Which course. is unfortunable. Mm. Uh-huh. So Should... I'm storming out in protest. <laughs> in pro- <laughs> no. We're never going to get our CBC I'm, I'm funding this way. I'm committed to biculturalism, so I'm outraged. We're going to do this entire podcast again in French in an hour. future, le podcast, that's, qui vous... Uh, that's, I don't that's impressive. How to say listen that's to the only way, you t- 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 way you're going to get a uh, Canada Council grant out of this. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Which I know is the game plan. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, have, we have the podcast. Yeah, we got to get podcast that podcast about embezzling money from your jet ski dealership in Montreal. <laughs> Why would anyone need a jet ski uh, in Montreal? It's the, 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 the two greatest uh, enemies of the Quebecois, the, 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 the Salafistes, the, the Kaliski du accident. <laughs> Look, everyone knows that there are two kinds of French people. The French people in France who are constantly doing blackface drawing Muhammad who all work for 30 minutes a day for the government and mm. then the kind of French people who live in Quebec who are still like obsessed with uh, Christian schisms from the 16th century and work very diligently selling counterfeit cigarettes that they, so they can pay bribes to their entirely mafia government. God. For regular French people you missed out g- traveling on a scooter to have sex with women who aren't their wife. <laughs> so wait, Riley, are you saying that the Quebecois are just French Rod Dreyer? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am saying that. Quebecois is like one of these um, Rod Dreher intentional communities that got way out of hand. It's l'option Benedicte. The Italian-Americans of Canada. I mean, not not too far off. Yeah. Um, so I'm basing this solely on watching MMA and knowing who Georges St. Pierre is. So <laughs> my impressions of, of Quebec is based solely on that one guy, but it seems to be pretty close to what you just said. So uh, just to get back into a little bit of the CanCon here, because we need that grant. Um Luke, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Green Party? Are they actually left-wing, or are they just eco-fascists? <laughs> I mean, they're kind of whatever you want them to be. They're like a catch-all, carte blanche political party. They're actually, in some ways, a bit like the Liberal Democrats. They're probably more analogous to that, I mean, with less influence and fewer seats. But just in the sense of, like, they can pretty much be whatever you want them to be, and they sort of oscillate with election cycles, and they're very leader-centric as well. Mm-hmm. So they can sort of be uh, whatever you want them to be. They got they they got candidates who will have in their bios like, yeah, I'm an ardent capitalist. That's a guy running for them in somewhere like Oakville or something. Mm-hmm. Um, their policy book is kind of a, you know, a cornucopia of all kinds of different stuff, some of which is good, but like, who cares? There's not really like a coherent ideology behind all of it. So I've never had much time for them. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I think that tells us more or less all we need to know about the Greens, uh, except that their their main their main platform in Canada being, of course, the stopping of Brexit. <laughs> um, uh, but people in Canada are very passionate about that. What I'd, I'd like to focus on for this this first of our segments is uh, the NDP, the obvious choice uh, for any sensible Canadian who isn't um, uh, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, that's the billionaire, right? Captain O'Leary, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yes, I'm still Wait, well, Canadian. There's someone running for office in Canada called Mr. Wonderful. 
Well, he was on he was on Shark Tank, if you've ever seen that, which is like one of <laughs> yeah. those, it's like, or no. in Canada, we have Dragon's Den. Yeah, that's what we have in the UK right, too. Right, right. Yeah. So he tried to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party, and because he's like a TV guy, the Canadian media, everyone in the Canadian media just only knows American reference points. They were like, this guy is our Trump. This guy is our Trump. But he was a total flop because he spent much of the campaign like promoting his like shitty wine or whatever, like in the United States and not actually campaigning <laughs> in Canada. Microclimates. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, and then and then we never mo- promote wine on this show. Most recently, he and his wife were uh, were out in their boat or something, and they actually like killed someone at night. So uh, I think she may have been <laughs> charged. It, like, I don't. Knife, I'm not or? up on the case, so uh, this is all you know, all all alleged. <laughs> but uh, love to just allegedly murder a guy on my boat. <laughs> Wait, was it was it Big Pussy Bompensero? <laughs> no, no, it was um. It was it was interesting. They took out this boat. It used to be called what was it? The uh, Lady Gislaine, I think. Mm. <laughs> but why was Christopher right. Walken on there? <laughs> this this reminds me, if I can digress for one second, of a, a story. So I was once at a gig with a friend of the show Pierre Novelli and friend of the show Jamie Fraser, and we were discussing the uh, the tragic death of Irish singer Kirsty McColl. If anyone remembers that, yes, I know uh, that story. Uh, yeah, who, uh, who and I remember they would say like, oh, didn't she like drown or something? And I was like, no, she was hit by a speedboat. And I remember <laughs> that correctly. But then we like start Wikipediaing it. It turns out she was on holiday in Mexico and she got hit by the speedboat that was being driven at high speed through like a swimming area by the son of like a Mexican supermarket billionaire. <laughs> and then they managed to like blame it on a boat hand who went to jail. Um, and it was like I was like, wow, this is actually like a really dark story of like <laughs> wealth and corruption. We were just being like, wasn't it? weird that she was killed by a speedboat so if we want to stop these people in canada anyway the people who we want kill to st- people with speedboats that yeah is. if we want to stop- we want to stop mexican if we want to <laughs> yeah, stop there's, there's, there's four parties Me- mexican the oligarch scions must yeah. be stopped the pro- exactly the progressive speedboat murder party <laughs> must be kept away from boats so if we want to stop people um in canada committing murder with fancy boats then mm. the ndp are kind of the only real option right so luke i'd love it if you could tell uh, our listeners what the ndp are, are all about yeah, so the NDP is uh, kind of historically similar to Labour. Uh, the big difference being that in the 1920s, British politics basically split along class lines. The liberals kind of vanished. A lot of the sort of more progressively minded sort of middle class liberals just joined the Labour Party anyway. Um, and then after the war, obviously, Labour was kind of one of the, you know, was one of the two major parties. That never really happened in Canada, you know, um, Politics in Canada aren't really, haven't historically had this left-right split. Uh, the liberals have been this kind of big, uh, you know, f- fake uh, fake left party that's been in the in the sort of middle of Canadian politics, and they've been really, really dominant. So, uh, you know, at times the NDP has been able to, you know, force uh, kind of concessions and, and force reforms, which is why we have, uh, you know, a better welfare state than America does, things like that. Um, and yeah, the NDP came out historically out of, uh, 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 its predecessor, the cooperative Commonwealth Federation, which was, a um, a coalition of, uh, farmers, industrial workers, and socialists. Um, and that merged in 1961, I believe with the Canadian labor Congress. So, uh, it's very much a kind of a, a labor, a labor party. Oh, hell yeah. And historically, like you've said that they've been responsible for some of the things that make Canada a good place to live, such as our such as like paving the way for our federal level universal health care program and similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else, what else, what, else, what have they done for us lately? <laughs> well, Janet Jackson. I mean, <laughs> 
No, no, fine. Go ahead. I was going to say, to quote Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? A song no one is in here is old enough to know. Even me. Because it came Podcast out when I was like three years old. Again. But there it is. Fucking happened again. <laughs> Dad yeah. vibes once again. Apologies. I didn't get the reference. No, uh, no one did. That's the thing. No one ever does. <laughs> you know, actually, I was going to say, it's great with uh, with me in the studio and Nate here and Riley here as well. There's Now there's three of us with this Philistine accent I speak in. And Hussein's also Canadian. Yeah, but I don't, have, I don't have the accent. I just have the passport. Yeah, no, I was... I. Um, I'm a Canadian. I'm a Canadian national. I didn't know um, that. No one does. It's I like forget deep it. Deep Hussein law. Yeah, you have to like really understand like the backstory of me to get that. But no, yeah, I'm um, I'm technically allowed to vote in Canadian elections. I just never do. Oh wow. Well, hopefully but, by but the I'm, end of it, we'll yeah. talk you into it. Oh no, I'm already like you know we uh, we're gonna explain who he is. But I'm already like you know team jug me anyway. He got awesome. he got the Drake blessing right. So I, don't, I've got I to, haven't I haven't I've seen. Got to do it. Yeah. I think Rihanna followed him on Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's the last you know. thing I saw. That's how you know. It's but so be, my dad's my dad's British. So uh so I every time I come here and he has a British accent, obviously I'm really I'm immediately really self conscious about my accent or rather my lack of one as I see it. But uh, anyway, it's good to good to have uh, some fellow countrymen here. Oh yeah, that's why the, we're, we're, this is basically the Canadian embassy. Uh, if Canadians <laughs> in London do not try to vote here. Oh, what's up with all these geezers talking in these funny accents? Then I think you're having a right monkey. <laughs> so, um, so I want to go back to this though. Like they're responsible generally for doing things like like pushing for and successfully getting a universal health care. Mm-hmm. But what are some things that they've been campaigning for, if not getting, or indeed getting more recently? Yeah, so the big split in Canada in between the NDP and the Liberals, you know, there's a lot of people, it's kind of like the Sanders and Warren thing, which we'll get to about how people say, well, there's not really any difference between the two. And, um, and actually... Uh, that's even giving the liberals too much credit because uh, Elizabeth Warren has much better politics than they do uh, in her defense. But the, the the there is a there is a very real kind of split between the liberals and the NDP, both kind of historically where they come from, the kinds of people that have been involved with them, the kinds of people that uh, tend to vote for them. Don't want to generalize too much, but ideologically, the NDP favors you know a lot of the kinds of things that uh, the Labour Party does, at least in its most recent incarnation. So big universal programs. The liberals are really into means testing. So in the last election, there was a whole, there was a split between the NDP and liberals where the liberals, uh, you know, childcare is ridiculously expensive in Canada. It's like a really serious issue. And the liberal solution was, you know, these means tested uh, checks in the mail, which is not terrible, but it's not a substitute when it costs, you know, $1,200 a month or $1,500 a month to send your toddler uh, to daycare. It's not really a substitute for a $10 a day system. So uh, those are, you know, those are the kinds of schisms. The, the liberals in 2015 also kind of rhetorically were like, we're going to tax the rich, but then they, they didn't really actually do that. The NDP is running on a wealth tax in this election, running to close a bunch of these uh, egregious loopholes. Um, I, I, I'd have to double check if it's on the platform. I'm pretty sure it is. But there's this crazy loop, loophole where in, in Canada where if you get your compensation in stock options, which I assume it works as the, the way here, the same way here. Um, like if you're a CEO and you get paid through stock options, you can on, you only pay like a 50% rate on it. And the idea is this is supposed to foster competition or something. Yeah, I don't it's competition know. of who can pay CEOs the most. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, yeah. It's, it's race. It's race to the top. Yeah. Damn. Alien but, versus predator. But also, so I want to. So I also want to talk about who Jugmeet Singh is. Right. He has risen to the top of the NDP. He has taken the NDP from usually what I think most people in Canada would think of as perennially third place to coming and nipping at the heels of victory. 
Yeah, I mean, it's unclear how far this surge that's happening right now is going to go. But and actually, um, you know, like a week ago or maybe a little longer than that, 10 days ago, the election was really sleepy. Like it was probably the most boring election in recent memory in Canada. It seemed very low stakes. It was going to be a really sort of it was going to be a low visibility campaign. Was when this pe- before or after the blackface thing? Well, the blackface, I think, was kind of what was kind of what shook it up that was like the yeah, um, that'll, that'll, that'll happen I it'll do it blackface. i wasn't interested before but now there's been a blackface well wow. <laughs> blackface is, is like the nos button for an election third trudeau has hit the world blackface center <laughs> <laughs> well he and when he was asked about it uh he they were like well how many more times and he's sort of like gave something to the effect of like I wouldn't want to put a number on it. I, he's, like, he's like, to be honest, I didn't remember all these it's, other it's, it's ones, so I couldn't speculate. <laughs> right? Okay, but um, so let's but let's let's talk about about Jugmeat. Huh? Yeah. So um, he came up through the Ontario NDP. He won a seat in uh, in Brampton, uh, which is kind of uh, surrounding. You know, it's adjacent to Toronto in uh, in the 2011 Ontario election. Um, he became deputy leader of the Ontario NDP, and then in 2017. Uh, when the NDP was kind of uh, rudderless, uh, he was pretty overwhelmingly elected leader. And I would say he's had uh, not that much visibility up up until this point. The NDP was actually struggling with fundraising and stuff going into the election. But, um, you know, I think he's made a pretty good impression on people, um, you know, and he's uh, I think, you know, he's 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 dealt with these uh, kind of racist incidents that keep happening uh, pretty well. I think that's uh you know, won won him a lot of admiration. He did very well in the uh, the debate recently. Even the uh, parliamentary press gallery, which is pretty you know down on the NDP, usually seemed to uh, agree that. But I, I I also think just the NDP program, the one that that his leadership has kind of embraced, is popular. Like that's actually my read. I think on what's going on in 2015, a lot of people when they voted liberal thought they were getting a, they were going to get a left wing government. Basically, they thought they were going to get you know, a green, redistributive, tax the rich kind of government. That was even what was kind of reported in the media at the time. That's not what they got. So, uh, you know, when I when I see these polls suggesting that young people are departing uh, or they're, they're going to vote NDP in droves, uh, many of them leaving the liberals, it doesn't really surprise me. I think that's a big part of what's going on too. And it's unclear how far it's going to go. If it's going to prevent the either of the two major parties from or the biggest parties from uh, forming a government or if there's possibility for something else who knows there's only a few days left um in fact by the time you're listening to us to this there will be no days left so <laughs> vote vote unless you're not planning to vote ndp in which case don't how can they vote if like it's already like done? well this is coming out the morning of election day oh i see okay so, so vote, go and vote today vote, vote. vote. yeah go vote often uh. Yeah, vote, vote early and vote often. And I would say, uh, you know, the the polls right now, the, the Ipsos poll yesterday had the NDP at 20 and the other two parties in the low 30s. But these things, uh, which, you know, is still like a 10 or 11 point spread. But the thing is, you know, momentum has the polls only capture snapshots. And yesterday I couldn't help but notice that Justin Trudeau was campaigning in downtown Toronto, which if the liberals were feeling good and if their internal polling looked good, they would certainly not be doing this close to Election Day. So I'm pretty optimistic about uh, what might mm. what might 
might happen and hopefully is happening by the time you're all listening to this. Um, and remember, it's close. It could come down to just a few votes. So if you're going to vote NDP, why not vote three or four times? You know, go down there. <laughs> go in different disguises. You know, Give various pseudonyms that Use sound various ridiculous. various face paints. I was going to say, exactly. Justin Trudeau can give you some advice on how to convincingly portray someone of a different ethnicity. Mumble a really ridiculous long French name. They're sure <laughs> to let you vote. And uh, if, you, yeah, if do- you're going to vote Conservative, you're probably going to get a speedboat to the polls anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> just like try not to maintain it. Uh, don't like <laughs> practice good seamanship. One <laughs> um, thing I... I- one thing I, I, I always enjoy as a little historical fact is that the Democratic Party machine in New York City always used to keep getting itself elected in the 19th century by like bribing homeless men with with whiskey to grow long beards and then mm. go vote and then shave and then vote again. <laughs> Love Tammany Hall. Amazing. <laughs> I'm just loving the, sto- the story idea of just like conservatives distracted on their way to the polls as they're traveling there by a swimming Irish singers who are enjoying the lakes. <laughs> um, so one more one more thing bo- on, on CanCon before we go uh, discuss our neighbors to the south uh, from the point of view of Canada, not Spain. Um, what should we what should we expect out of the uh, NDP? Uh, if they potentially go into coalition with the liberals to stop the Tories, there's been some noise made about this. Yeah, so I'm not sure how serious the noise about a coalition government is. I'm not sure if it's if the NDP is is kind of um, putting that up so the liberals knock it down and and look like idiots, or um, you know if it's if it's if it's more serious. And obviously, it'll a lot will depend on how the seats break down. Uh, I I guess my own view is that if the NDP is going to enter into any kind of arrangement with the liberals, whether that's, you know, a kind of supply arrangement where they say we'll support you until X date if you do, you know, all of these things or if it's an actual coalition, um, I just think, uh, you know, the the NDP should make the price pretty high. You know, the liberals should have to do a lot of stuff before they get the NDP's support. Well, if there's anything Mm -hmm. I've learned from liberal liberal parties in Britain, it's that when faced with the prospect of having to implement even mild social democracy, they immediately go into coalition with the conservatives and then institute a new policy that if you make less than 100,000 of the currency, whatever it is, any year... Then you have to eat a diet of nothing but bugs. <laughs> so, like, they does also, Justin Trudeau stay on bags. in that coalition idea? Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. Actually, I think like regardless of what happens, unless the Liberals pull off some kind of miracle, his brand is just so utterly tarnished now. I mean, the the guy built a, an international brand on being this like performatively woke, anti racist, feminist prime minister, this like beacon of liberal multiculturalism in the age of Trump. And I mean, if you're going to undo that. Uh, I mean, you really couldn't have chosen anything worse than, or anything better than blackface. If if he does uh, stay, at least if he's forced by an NDP coalition or supply agreement to do something he doesn't want, like not building pipelines, he will have a good reason to protest his own government this time. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of a compromise solution. Like, we will go into coalition with Justin Trudeau, but there can be no more blackface. He's allowed to do yellowface once a year <laughs> on his birthday. That is as far as we'll go. No you, cameras. You, you trade the blackface <laughs> for the pipeline. So, like, he can yeah. dress yeah. up however he wants, but he can't, like, bulldoze anyone's house to run oil so, through it. That, that's the Damn. deal. Just, Justin Trudeau gets to live his life as that silent movie, The Jazz Singer, but he doesn't get to make any policies. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Um, I want to pick up, actually, Luke, on something you said a little bit earlier as we move into segment two, tentatively titled Ballistic, Sanders versus Warren, um, which is a lot of this noise that's made of there being no clear blue water between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren as um, 
as as progressive or left candidates. And there are two two of their sort of core policies that have come out in sort of previous weeks uh, that I want to dive a little bit further into. Uh, and that is Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's Accountable Capitalism Act and Bernie Sanders's Corporate Accountability Act. Now, make no mistake, these are not the presidents uh, from Futurama, uh, well, at least before Nixon, uh, who are just have the same name and are the same guy. These are actually very different. So here's a little bit from a Vox article. We're going to talk about Warren's um, plan first. The conceit tying together Warren's ideas, and we'll see what they are shortly, is that if corporations are going to have the legal rights of persons, they should be expected to act like decent citizens who uphold their fair share of the social contract and don't act like sociopaths whose sole obligation is profitability, as is currently conventional in American business thinking. Um, For most of America's history, she then said, when our companies did better, our workers did better, and America built a thriving middle class. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> bit of a reductive history there. Yeah, you know, like how wh- wh- how the American government helped United Fruit to do better. Everyone knows the Gilded Age was great for workers. I was say Upton Sinclair's The Jungle is actually just a book about animals that live in the jungle. <laughs> They're colorful. They're savage and wild. So wait, are you saying that this is some kind of horse shit? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I, ju- I don't think I just don't think it's going to work. Later in that thread that you just quoted from, she has a there's a tweet about uh you know how 181 CEOs signed a non-binding resolution about corporate accountability or something, and I don't know this tacking this kind of moderate language onto stuff that I mean the stuff in the act's not in and of itself bad. It doesn't go nearly as far as as Bernie's legislation does, um, but it's the way that it's being packaged as this kind of very technocratic uh kind of uh you know revolution by white paper or whatever i just uh, i just don't think it's going to work and i also think it's designed specifically not to irk you know the the you know patricians and managers who are actually very enthusiastic about elizabeth warren and you're just not going to change anything unless those people are made to be very pissed off well, and also something that I'd point out is that this idea that you're somehow going to uh, appeal to the good nature of American business. Basically, if you pass laws that make it so that they're breaking the law if they don't do the things you want them to do with regard to workers and pay and things along those lines, then you might get some compliance. But if you're just doing this as kind of optics, we've seen this time and again, like even if companies, even if there was such a thing as an enlightened CEO, it doesn't matter. They can't do these things. They can't pay workers more because they're going to be pummeled in terms of their share valuations and their boards aren't going to let them. So basically, Elizabeth Warren is like, well, maybe if we make a few tweaks around the edges, we can get people to behave in a way that's going to not really change the status quo. But the two points, one point is kind of banal because we've said it so many times. One is it doesn't matter what you do. They're just going to scream about how this is, you know, this is Stalinism. But if they can get away with not changing anything and still treating workers like shit, that's what they're going to do. They're just going to call you Stalin and do that as well. Whereas you might as well do some fucking Stalinism. Now, I'm not saying that it's a tanky, obviously. I'm just saying that you might as well pass laws that are going to give deliver the effects of tangible gains in people's lives because corporate America is going to behave this way no matter what. Mm, that was well, actually I mean, how Stalin got started. People have called him Stalin his whole life and he's like, well, I may as well be Stalin. Further to your point, Nate, it's not just that there's going to be some compliance, it's that there's always going to be the minimum compliance. Yes, exactly. And I, I think mm. some of the difference between Sanders and Warren is that uh, when you get that kind of um, sort of uh, disobedience to the law or like finding loopholes, you want somebody who is not an ardent capitalist to actually try and enforce them. 
And, and, and something I'd throw out, too, is that, I mean, think about the, the tweaks and changes that were made under Obama. Like, two things happened. Basically, none of the corporations cared. None, none of like the, the, the CEOs and industry figures actually supported Obama beyond, like, okay, he got, was it Jeffrey Immelt, the head of GE, to be on his, like, CEO board or whatever he had. But, like, none of that changed anything. GE certainly doesn't pay anything besides zero dollars in taxes. But also, the extent to which this you know, all got undone once those same people donated the maximum legal amount to fucking Trump and he got elected, basically meant that this whole decade that was supposed to produce all these gains for workers didn't really produce much at all. Like in the same way that people are now just kind of, you know, looking at the, at, at tables and figures and saying, wow, why is it that even though we have three and a half percent unemployment in America, wages aren't going up at all? It's like, well, I don't know, maybe because you're not making them do it. And it's this idea that all you have to do is I don't know, prime the pump in some way and then everything's going to take care of itself. I feel like that's just, yeah. that's both ahistorical and just really, really, I'm going to say pie in the sky. It's just, it's like naive in a way that should be criminal when you're somebody of Elizabeth Warren's well, stature. Like, e- even, even on a, like, aside from the materialist view of this, on a, like, really reductionist level, I feel like you want someone who has that animus, who does not yes. like CEOs, who is not friends with them, who isn't going to take their speaking fees. On the basis that, yeah, okay, like Obama could have nationalized a lot of companies uh, during the bailout, but he also could have put some people in jail. And I think if he had done that, which he never would have, he wasn't the person who was going to do that. But if he had, I think that might have had more of an effect on those people. And first of all, it would have been hot, daddy. But also, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's a there's a really good piece by uh, Matt Carp at Jacobin called uh, "Is This the Future Liberals Want," um, which I think is probably the best. Uh, the best essay you're going to read probably anywhere on the differences between Sanders and Warren and why they matter. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there's a couple, there's a, there's a few really good points in it. Um, you know, he points out, for example, that, uh, you know, a lot of Warren supporters are really into her 2% uh, wealth tax, uh, 2% tax on fortunes over 50 million. But uh, it's become a chant at her rallies where they chant two cents, two cents. And the implication is that they're mm-hmm. actually they're actually into how kind of moderate it is. Like they, they don't see it as like we're taking power back from these people. They fetishize it as like this is actually a, this is a moderate request that's being made. So um, uh, Matt Carp also writes, he says, when Warren when Warren does vow to challenge the to, uh when Warren does vow to challenge the pa- uh, the power of the wealthy, her rhetoric often works not to stoke the popular mind against America's inequality, but to naturalize it as a fact of life. And this is a quote from Elizabeth Warren. She says, in America, there are going to be people who are richer and people who are not so rich. And the rich are going to own more shoes and they're going to own more cars and they may even own more houses, but they shouldn't own our de- uh, more of our democracy. And uh, I think that's a really good, uh, that's very emblematic of the, the limits of Elizabeth Warren's vision Woke here. Woke Marcos. <laughs> what, what, what do we want? Mild reform. When do we want it? Over a structured rollout program. Yeah. Rock and roll. We all remember Alice Cooper's song, School's Out for Summer, parentheses, to give the teachers a nice and well-earned break. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... I mean, if we actually look at some of the highlight, the highlights of her of her proposed policy, we can see that Warren really wants to keep the game the same, but just tweak some of the incentives so that people play more fairly. And again, also before I go into this, I want to say like 
Warren's proposals are by far and away better than every single other Democrat oh, yeah. currently running, with the obvious exception, of course, of Marianne Williamson. But, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think, I, I think like Andrew Yang is pretty close to basically promising an Evangelion, which is what I was hoping Marianne Williamson would be doing. So I don't know. I'm quite disappointed by Marianne that. Williamson is like everyone gets a free tarot reading no, or something. Sorry, <laughs> actually, I'm, no, not, not Marianne Williamson. I'm sorry. Tom Steyer is my favorite now because I think Tom Steyer could just be told anything by a consultant and he would do it like we're gonna see him get a youtube show called vibe check with america and i'm very <laughs> excited to see him do it is his campaign like gonna be something like he's not a goer <laughs> so so here are warren's proposals she wants to require uh workers to elect 40 percent of corporate boards oh, very she wants, german she wants to restrict board and company executive stock sales so that you can't sell shares you receive as compensation until at least five years after they're received and you can't do it as part of a stock buyback. I don't think you could really chant that at a rally and have it sort of grip people's hearts. You know what it is? It's just too verbose. It's, it's looking, it's leaning over the table at Angela Merkel and being like, can I copy yours if I just switch it up some to make it look different? <laughs> what if I translate it into English? No, I think, yeah. I, I think what will happen is that you'll have like, you know, things like two cents, two cents. But then when um, Elizabeth Warren gets the nomination, she's going to hire a consultant to kind of come up with chance. And that consultant will be Pharrell Williams. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she also wants to require 75% of executives and shareholders approval for political expenditures. So you can sort of see where she's falling here, right? She believes that... Um, one of the ways in which money gets into politics is the direct spending on political campaigns from like ex from from companies that GE donates to someone's campaign and then they're beholden to GE. But that's not really how it works. It works because GE goes up to someone and says, "Hey, can we build this extremely polluting factory in your district? It'll give you 500 jobs." And then all of a sudden, no exchange has been made. But because GE just is able to pull the strings of which districts get what so much, then they're able to essentially buy a legislator. A, a legislator. Yeah, and then and then you get like PACs coming up to support the you know like extra jobs or whatever, purely by coincidence. Yeah, I was gonna say, or also is something even even worse than that. And I mean, I, I don't know if the similar thing exists in the United Kingdom, but definitely in the U.S., we have this problem where. It'll legitimately be something like, oh, by the way, here's a bill that our consultants wrote or that our lobbyists wrote, you know, introduced yeah, us into here. a session. It's think tanks. And yeah, and it's it's one of these things where I think the, the biggest the pr problem that I see coming from the US is that if something drastic doesn't change in terms of like the the outcomes in people's lives, whatever Warren proposes is going to be undone by President Tom Cotton. Like mm -hmm. that that's going to happen. And so for me, the, 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 the more radical the course correction, the better. Not, not just because out of like, an adherence to, ra to radical politics, but also because you see how dire the situation is and how that incremental stuff isn't... I mean, not that it was ever a good idea, but that certainly given the last 40 years and the last 11 years, the kind of things that most people are dealing with in their lives, what you know, what's going to win people over to the point they're willing to support you know, more... I don't know, Democratic politicians as opposed to someone who's going to be like, we're going to make you proud again, by the way, we're also going to be really racist. Yeah. I'm very excited for President Tom Cotton to replace the minimum wage with a daily birthday cake ration for every American. <laughs> Nate, yeah. I love how you said, uh, not out of any adherence to radical politics, five minutes after saying, let's do some Stalinism. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess, I, I, yeah, ooh, exactly. I think more it's along the line, what I'm trying to say is that I don't want it to seem like it's just, it, it, it's not based in any kind of like, contrarianism or some sort of like adherence to theory it's oh, more no, that sure. yeah. where we are right now in the u.s basically one of the, the most significant killers of people under the age Rappers? of 55 is 
opiate <laughs> overdoses. I mean, and, oh wait, yeah, sorry, that, that, those guys. You know, the, the the military recently came out and said that one of the prime drivers of enlistments is not unemployment, but rather student loan and medical debt. Like that's not a particularly sustainable situation. Never mind, you know, anemic wage growth. Never mind the fact that like outside of major metropolitan areas, there's been zero wage growth. The like, U.S. Army, more of that, please. <laughs> Another Elizabeth Warren policy. The U.S. Greening Army, it. more of that, but greener. You know, what if what if every oh, drone damn. was also solar powered? Biodegradable M4s for the boys. So something else I'd add is even if you you look at Warren's program, which, as Riley said, is much better than the. T- I mean, it's it's significantly to the left of the of the sort of median Democratic Party program. Assume that she, uh, you know, one hundred percent believes in all this stuff, which I, again I think, unlike a lot of. Uh, other Democrats, when when she takes these positions, I mean, she is she's very keen to regulate Wall Street. She's you know she has a record to that effect. Um, like she, I think she she can be taken at her word that she wants to a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's just not going to work with the current Democratic Party in in the way that the the way that American politics. Uh, the 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 obstructionism that exists in American political institutions is just not going to work. Um, and unlike Bernie, she seems keen to basically try to play nice with the Democratic Party, to not antagonize you know its kind of uh, patrician voter base too much, or its uh, even its big donors. I mean, so a lot of them don't uh, don't like her, but it looks like she's going to uh, allow their money if she's the nominee to, if not fund her presidential campaign, still fund parts of the Democratic Party. Um, so her agenda is just not going to get through. I mean, people often say this about Bernie. It's like, well, why would you elect him? This agenda is not going to get through. None of these people's agenda is going to get through. Pete Buttigieg's agenda, which is like far less serious than Warren's, couldn't get through uh, the Congress that's probably going to be next. So the question is, what do you do about that? And Bernie Sanders is the only uh, candidate in the race uh, who has a plan uh, for f- and a strategy for figuring out how you actually game that system and overcome those obstacles. I hate it when Elizabeth Warren's presidential program is cancelled by Supreme Court Judge Hamburglar. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, um, I've indeed, I actually speaking of this, I have uh, Sanders' plan, or at least the highlights out in front of us. And I think you'll see a much larger a much more ambitious plan because here's the thing Warren's program of intense regulation America tried that it with America tried that in throughout the sort of 1950s 60s and 70s when there when we had like the remnants of the new deal yeah. it was protected. Richard Nixon tried that yeah it was protected by the remnants of the labor movement which was crushed so like you can't do it again because if you re-regulate, then give it 20 years of alternating Republican, Democratic, and centrist Democratic presidencies, and then we're going to have like the financial crisis too, except the amount of habitable land on the earth is going to be able to fit in a postage stamp. So, so that would protect actually house price values, probably <laughs> mitigating the effects of the financial crisis. <laughs> come, on, come on, leftists, do your reading. <laughs> Libs aren't. Um, so here's Bernie's Corporate Accountability Act. It requires workers to own 20% of the company, which I note is twice the size of Labor's proposal, which is that workers should only own 10% of the company. So, McDonnell, Corbin, fucking let's double up. I don't like to be made to look like a chump. I'm 100% of the pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Millennials don't like owning things. Oh, yeah. I've been told that so much. We like to rent. We yeah. to rent companies. We should, yeah, we should all, all Bernie. If he really no, Bo- Pete Buttigieg is going to make an app where millennials can rent shares in a company so that they can vote on crucial decisions. Like, Damn. I feel like that is actually something Buttigieg would do. I hate uh, that you're right, and that's, <laughs> this is going to be at the episode in like four years' time. 
Lathe of heaven. We're going to lathe of heaven um, union with an o, no O into existence. So here's the next one. He wants workers to elect 40. Yin. He wants workers to elect 45% of the board, but come on, we can get to 51. Surely we can get to 51. Yeah. Um, ban all outsourcing without compensation, which I think is huge. That is an en- that's enormous. It basically means that when a job gets in back is created in America, you can't ship it off to China or Mexico or whatever without paying out the ass for it, which like actually is one of these things that's going to lock in gains, any gain that he makes. Love to lock in gains. And to establish a U.S. employee ownership bank <laughs> to, to finance employee takeovers and guarantee right of first refusal for employees to buy their businesses. These aren't like regulations. These are programs that are going to create their own constituencies really fast because they're just going to put a lot more money in people's pockets. It's why the NHS is hard to privatize. And I feel like this is going to be very difficult for anyone to undo at a later date. Mm. Even the greatest minds in the country, like Matt Hancock, have so far been unable to prioritize the NHS, despite coming up with their best, like, Wiley Coyote app-based schemes <laughs> and doing parkour over a thing that says patient waiting times. You know, what, 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 what's happened is that Matt Hancock has been told that he can privatize the NHS as long as he can, like, parkour right over the Royal London Hospital. So he's training for that right now. He's just, he's just Hancock in full under, under armor doing, like, hula hoop in front of the hospital. Ooh, limbering up for this one. Come on, I, I, I prefer to think of Matt Hancock in a full Assassin's Creed outfit, ready to like yes. do an Altair up the Royal London Hospital. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just reminded of a, a, an animated gif that I saw recently of a, a clip from The Punisher in which a guy's trying to do parkour like a villain or a henchman is doing parkour and Frank Castle shoots him with an RPG. <laughs> uh, but also something I want to point out too is that uh, this, we, we may have talked about this before on the show but uh, the whole scandal of the Monica Lewinsky thing and Clinton's impeachment actually derailed his legislative agenda for that Congress, which one of his prime goals was to privatize Social Security because that was a thing that the Democrats wanted to do under Clinton uh, after gutting welfare. And so it's like like you were saying, Riley, Social Security, they've managed to, to keep it nationalized, but only not not because there was one party protecting it and one party trying to, to to confront it. There were a lot of people, even on the Democratic side, who thought, oh, this would be great. What if we invested the fucking entirety of Social Security in the stock market? And I think that similar to what you're describing here, it's hard to privatize. It's hard to, to get control of because people have so much of a stake in it. But so many things that... I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, it would be hard to compare it to something here. I mean, obviously, like they haven't managed to sell off the NHS yet. But like the the British Postal Service, mm. they, did, they did privatize. Yeah. And... They haven't in the United States, but God knows they want to. And it's things like that where if you if you can just give people a chance to like start getting more things that they actually belong to workers that belong to to employees, then it's going to be harder for them to achieve this. But where we're at right now, if someone came out tomorrow, if, if Donald Trump wasn't senile and said, "I want to privatize Social Security," Republicans would be on board with it, and we might legitimately, had they not lost the House, see something like that. Had it been his agenda instead of just graft crime and weird racism decrees. Mm. <laughs> Shout out, mm. by the way, since you mentioned Royal Mail, to the uh, Communication Workers Union, who just voted 97% in favour of striking. Oh, hell, hell yeah. yeah. We love that. It was something like a 75% turnout, too. So, like, that's hopeful. Well, I'm, I'm mm. very excited for the Queen to be replaced by the Postmaster General. <laughs> um, so, uh, Luke, any final thoughts on the Sanders platform before we move on to the uh, life and times of John Tamney. Yeah, so I guess just one one last thing I wanted to say is there's all kinds of ways that you can compare Sanders and Warren, but I think at root of uh, of the divide is actually just how serious you think the problems uh, with American society are, or just with you know Western capitalism in general. Um, 
if you're a, a liberal, uh, you know, you tend to see things in terms of ethics more than you see them in terms of morality. You think that, uh, you know, there are these systems that that govern our lives that that you know guide our policy making, and as long as they as long as they conform to certain rules. Uh, things are basically fine, and this makes sense because liberalism is, you know, basically it's an ideology that came out of you know bourgeois professionals, right? People who are proceduralists for a living, you know, lawyers and and uh, merchants and things like that. And uh, I think socialism, you know, there is such a thing as socialist ethics, but I think socialism ultimately has a lot more to do with morality. And when you look at um, uh, when you look at the the difference between how Bernie talks and how uh, Elizabeth Warren talks. You can really see that his his uh, all of his language going back, you know, thirty or forty years is ridden through with this uh, this moral outrage at the you know the injustices of a of unequal capitalist society. I don't think you find that in uh, in Elizabeth Warren. So at the the most the most basic level, all of the uh, all of the specific proposals or whatever aside that's really what it comes down to do you think that uh the system it kind of needs a few course corrections or do you think it needs to be overhauled and overthrown yeah is is her hate pure as <laughs> used to be asked um actually ed Miliband got asked that once when he was a young journalist and he said well I, I don't hate anyone <laughs> but frank castle hated some people all right <laughs> uh-huh. so just keep that in mind but i want to move on now to a story about another man who will change the world Probably the person who's has no hate in his heart, who is all love. Ronald and McDonald. This is a story about. <laughs> this is a story about a man named John Tamney. Now, John Tamney came to my attention because he wrote a an article in support of Elizabeth Holmes entitled "Elizabeth Holmes is a Visionary and We Need More Like Her." Um, that article says a lot of the standard stuff. Uh, he it's says, also correct. We have to defend yeah. women with voices this deep. <laughs> Dr. Girlfriend action. It's not her real yes, voice, Yes, I belong though. in here. <laughs> uh, and this article said that, my take, with, my take is that with times, Holmes will be vindicated as a visionary whose main quote-unquote offense was believing deeply in technology that will eventually help save many lives, and that still in future may. I would find <laughs> was believing too Galileo much. Galileo in a shitty turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so which is, this is basically the, the Ronald Reagan... Iran Contra defense, like in my heart, I thought it was true, even though actually it no, was very it's, obviously it's a lie. Worse. It's history will vindicate me. Yes, uh, and it's that like, look, we all know that in the long run of science, eventually we're going to discover uh, a piece of technology that can analyze analyze everything about you from like two drops of blood. It's just she didn't get it right. But without her, how will we get there in the future? Um, and he says that um, the world would be a much better place if Holmes were innovating uh, rather than having to defend herself. Lest readers forget, credit cards were not invented by banks, Uber not created by a grizzled taxi dispatcher, and Jeff Bezos didn't work at Walmart before founding Amazon. No, he worked at a fucking hedge fund. I wonder why. <laughs> um, um, yeah. You didn't build that? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. I don't really want to talk about that article because that article has been drained by everyone latching onto it and pulling mm. all the content out of it. But it's, it's a only pic- a couple of drops of blood each time. <laughs> nah. It's a it's a picked clean skeleton, and I will have no more part of it on the show. I actually decided to do what I what I do as a podcaster and dig a little bit deeper into John Tamney. And Take I some really of his blood and analyze it. <laughs> I really, kind of, in the sense that I read his writing, yes, because mm. John Tamney 
Um, he wrote this because he lives in the same building as Elizabeth Holmes's parents, and uh, disclo- he disclosed this in the article, and writes professional op-eds as a job. Like, he'll just write an op-ed for you. So and They're going to evict me if I didn't do this. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Combat landlords. So I like that being his way of saying that, like, uh, they—it's not an apartment building. They just like live in a house together yes. in like some weird, like the Waltons type family <laughs> setup. <laughs> he lives in the—he lives in their shed. Yeah, it's—he's the Uncle mm. Jesse of this situation. But they rented yeah. the backyard to him. <laughs> so here's the thing: some Austrian guy in the basement. I don't know what his deal is. Here's the oh, thing. Um, actually, we have new basement content because they just found that. Uh, was it Dutch or Belgian family? It was Dutch. The Dutch Belgian family. Austrian. Perfect, but Dutch. They're the Belgians Austrian. would never be it's called. It's an Austrian family in the Netherlands. Are they? Jesus. Yes. What is it with Austrians? <laughs> You're kidding. Right, I, mean, I, kidding. I just bring that out for Milo's benefit because uh, I know we delight him. Incredible. Um... They, 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 this, another Austrian has kept his family locked in a basement for many years in anticipation of an apocalypse. But that is <laughs> <He's> not happening. <laughs> Austrians just love bunkers, don't they? <laughs> look, look, pulling, pulling things back on track voice. Um, this writer writes op-eds for a living and he lives in the same building as, as Elizabeth Holmes' parents. It's not a big leap of logic to assume that Elizabeth Holmes' parents planted this op-ed to try and defend their very stupid daughter. It's not um, an Elizabeth house, it's an Elizabeth home. Indeed. <laughs> um, but what's more interesting is the rest of his work. Um, so here is the title of his book that you can buy that is published. Popular Economics, What the Rolling Stones, Downton Abbey, and LeBron James Can Teach You About Economics. Absolutely fucking nothing. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) And here's from the inside cover of the book. Economics is pretty basic. In fact, it's everywhere you look. (laughs) What kind of quantum physics is basic? It's everywhere you look. He staged two documentary that you watch in a geography lesson. We've already acknowledged we live in a society, but you also know we live in an economy. (laughs) (laughs) Two of the things are maths. (laughs) <laughs> the economics joker. <laughs> so, well, here's well. This is, this is why he's the economics joker because of this next line. Do you know how I got this demand? Again, Milo. <laughs> yes, kind of. You don't need a PhD in a graphing calculator, he says, to understand uh, economic lessons that are all around us. Just the self confidence <laughs> to see what's in front of your nose. It's a guy who like took the line. <laughs> it's economics 101. And made it a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like a start, a presentation about economics, but kind of in the style of one of those things like, so you're going through puberty. <laughs> There's no need to be ashamed. It's perfectly natural. Um, oh, is that a is that a supply and demand curve blossoming on your chest? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, he explains economics through only four different chapters. Only four. Chapter one. Taxes. Taxes are a penalty for working. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Communist manifesto destroyed. We don't have a bingo card for this, but we can imagine one. If Great Britain raises Mick Jagger's income tax rate high enough, the Rolling Stones are going to find somewhere else to live. And the amount of tax... Tab, not the Rolling Stones, not the world's most decrepit men. We won't have to send them elsewhere. Honestly, I think if anyone could run up a medical bill as high as their tax bills, it would have to be the surviving so, members of the Rolling Stones. This is, yeah, but this they, is they, like with, without them, how, who would keep our oxygen cylinder industry afloat? <laughs> this is a particularly dumb version of this argument, though, because like, what percentage of Britain's GDP does this guy think the Rolling Stones represent? It's like, like he's specifically he's really saying they're going to move out. It's like, oh, what? Then the property values in London are going to fall? Uh, no, there's also the who. 
<laughs> um, there was Gary Glitter, but he had to leave. Brit- Brit- Britain's economy is just sustained by like aging '60s rockers in the or, homes that they own. One of Britain's wealthiest pop stars, Gary Barlow, who famously spends all of his time avoiding paying tax, <laughs> and it's a massive Tory. <laughs> but I mean, that also another thing too I point out is that Britain used to have. Uh, like a 97 or 98 and a half percent tax on royalty income as late as the mid 80s like famously duran duran were like tax exiles for a year because they had a hit album they're like well we don't want to pay taxes on it but like milo was saying they cut all those taxes now to like a paltry amount and they still do that shit because of course if you like become a i don't know a fucking tax island like guernsey or i don't know singapore or some shit like you're gonna be able to avoid it but like just because just because some people did that doesn't mean they won't do it. I mean, they're rich. They can buy private planes. I mean, we know a lot about private planes on this yeah. podcast. Like, <laughs> they can do whatever they want. So, I mean, the idea that, yeah. like, oh, well, God forbid the God forbid the Rolling Stones live in Mallorca or some shit. Like, it doesn't change anything. Um, yeah, I mean, having said that, I do think that the, the some of those insane tax rates we used to have are a bit uwu. It's like ninety eight percent tax. How dare you earn any money from your work? Yes, it's slightly like one hundred and two, hundred and five. Um, we have negative interest rates on royalty. You're not allowed to create <laughs> you anything. Start paying money every time you make money. Again, yeah, I mean, the, look, the, the, the inland yeah. revenue just in really incorporating the idea of entropy. But like, of course, obviously, like uh, Mick Jagger, if he looked at the tax rates in Britain in like the 1960s and 70s, uh, if he was studying at some university, like I don't know, the London School of Economics, he just wouldn't have bothered to become a multimillionaire rock star. No. Um, but anyway, let's let's continue. Chapter 2, Regulation. The smartest people in any industry aren't the regulators. They're the people making a living at it. Regulation is based on a fantasy that the mediocre can effectively direct the best and brightest. That's like expecting the Appalachian State football team to beat Michigan every time they play. That, okay, so we're into naked fascism. Uh, the best yeah. do what they will and the, the weakest suffer what they must. Awesome. Yes, a- absolutely. Yeah. If, why make, what, you know what we should do? Uh, you finance guys seem really good at the economy. Why don't you write the rules? I hate those people over at the podcast regulation office. Those, <laughs> those squares. Levison's always coming over to now. our cool podcasting basement and trying to stop us having toga parties and stuff. Levison 3, now, baby. Ofcom is going to get podcasts into its remit soon and we're fucked then. Oh my. Um, but also, yeah, that's, that's the whole... Again, we did do that. We had people from the finance industry write the regulations and then 2008 happened. By the way, this book was written like three years ago. It's great. This guy's like an iridentist from 2008 era conservative blogs. I love it when Goldman Sachs write all the financial regulations and they say, ah, don't worry about it. Um, trade. <laughs> LeBron James could make a pretty good tight end in the NFL. <laughs> oh, I love LeBron okay. James's tight end. Tight end. Yeah, um, yeah he's gonna make a, he could make a pretty good player I mean, in the I'm, NFL. I'm sure LeBron James could play football if yeah. he wanted to. But I mean, He's I mean, a big dude. But in basketball, he's the best in the world, so it would make no sense for him to play football. That's called comparative advantage, and it's the foundation of free trade. It's also the foundation of the movie Space Jam, where Michael Jordan quits the NBA to go become a baseball well, player. Well, Sp- Space Jam was based on Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? That's the most stupid, facile argument, because you know what? Fucking Jared Kushner would make an excellent fucking birthday party clown for children, because he's a fucking facile moron. And yet he appears to be in the government of the United States because he's married to another facile moron who's just hot and the daughter of the world's most like burger-brained man. <laughs> like none of this makes sense. It assumes that somehow magically in capitalism, like being good at something means you get put in charge of it. That is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> who thinks this? This guy, the guy, the guy who says, "What if Elizabeth Holmes failed blood test device?" was just the first of a hundred blood test devices that eventually work. The guy who's allowed to write a book despite clearly not having passed like junior school so here's <laughs> episode p- title the wealth of space jams 
<laughs> so here's here's the fourth Space Jam Stevens. Here's the fourth one. Money. Imagine playing football if the length of a yard changed in every day. This guy didn't write a book. He just like fell asleep with ESPN. <laughs> he's like he's doing like it's, it's Midden's advent again because he's remembering when a foot was determined by the length of the king's foot. <laughs> okay, but what is the fucking point he's making? Here? Yeah, that's how we run our economy. The value of the dollar, the economy's unit of measure, changes in value every minute. Gold so you want to go fucking gold again. standard? God damn it. <laughs> Government tries to convince us that free markets are dangerous, you know, because they keep on creating all of these markets by Which force. Which government? North Korea? Like, the, what government? But the he imaginary just, Democrats. But he, but he just thinks oh. that even if the free market doesn't work right now, eventually it will. Yeah, exactly. The free market's all about failing forward and believing in yourself. Right. Um, I mean, Elizabeth Holmes may not have invented a blood human reading device, but eventually we'll have tricorders from Star Trek The Next Generation, and it'll be because of her dutiful research. Yeah. We know there's a straight line between those things. Also, yeah, there'll be a holodeck, and I can have weird sex fantasies. <laughs> yeah. And this- yeah, no, Elizabeth Holmes is just doing Ben Sisko from DS9 going back in time and starting the riots that lead to the, um, the revolution. <laughs> this article it's is right, so it's a Star Trek deep cut, oh. but three people laughed hey, at I got, it. Hey, I got you. it. I got it. It's a Thank great you. episode. Also, it's not an article. It's the inside cover of a book. Oh, this sorry. is a book length idea. This book is so dumb and so like just a guide like stumbling drunk down a corridor at midnight in one concept into another that I'm sure that at some point in this book he's going to accidentally quote a Nazi. <laughs> not even like a modern day Nazi, like a full on Third Reich did experiments on twins kind of Nazi. But like, but like an obscure one, not one you yeah. would have yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he says governments tries to convince us that free markets are dangerous but to believe that we have to ignore reality but popular economist tells you that you're an economist too and a better one that you think no it doesn't that's not what it tells you <laughs> no it just says if you have common sense and like watch sports then you're also an economist with this one weird trick <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to bring another couple of his articles into the fore here. Uh, and he's written for the Mises Institute, the Climate Change Denying Heartland Institute, the American Institute for Economic Name. <laughs> I, just Heartland Institute. It's exactly as fascist as it sounds. The Milton Friedman Institute for like South American Studies or oh, whatever. <laughs> and the American Institute for Economic Research. So I've got three of his sample uh, post titles here, which all of which are delightful. Mm-hmm. Post title the first. What can Seinfeld teach us about industrial policy? <laughs> Not is, this, is his entire career just like SEO optimization? <laughs> oh, Costanza is dating the uh, the factory regulator, uh, but then he breaks up with her just before Seinfeld's big factory review, and he's furious. <laughs> Blaming gold for the 1930s is like Kim Jong-un blaming the foot for his this height. This is literally like a company <laughs> trying to fucking juke their Google results by having bullshit blog posts. It sounds like they who's blaming gold thing. for the 1930s? <laughs> who? Who are these people? My primary person I've been blaming for the 1930s for the last 26 years of my life, and correct me if I'm wrong, is Hitler. No, no. He means the Depression. Oh, okay. Can we yeah. not put that on Hitler as well? <laughs> I mean, this, 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 every, like, section and chapter just sounds like all these like PR emails I get where it's like they just take two random things and they put it together. Yeah, he's got slot machine brain. This is, this is Pete Buttigieg's corporate sports, co- corporate social responsibility, Black Lives Matter yeah. weird no, web you, copy on his site. You know what this guy is? He's like one of those Japanese holdouts living on an island in like the 70s still fighting the Allies except the Allies is the Bretton Woods system. <laughs> uh, and uh, his third one why New York Times columnists should spend more time with billionaires. 
Because they don't oh, already. They don't, they don't spend enough. Wait, hang no. on, hasn't hasn't there been some problems with that? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, there certain planes. There was, there was a billionaire that a lot of people in New York spent time with. Yeah. Uh, actually, the problem was they didn't spend enough time with him. Maybe if they had, they could have been better influences on him. Yeah, they could have been like the like uh, Nicholas Negroponte from the MIT Media mm. Lab. They would have grown yeah. to trust him. Uh, they could have done the responsible. Did know a lot about comparative advantage. Mm. Oh, they could have done the responsible thing, like Prince Andrew, and gone to meet Jeffrey Epstein specifically. Typically, to friend break up with them. <laughs> so, um, I actually looked at that column, and they were saying people just don't understand how much billionaires do for us. If only columnists would get to know them a little bit more. Damn. Uh, also, they're I pe- really they're people too. They have feelings. Yeah, exactly. They, they just, hang out with their dudes. I will say that billionaires uh, and New York Times columnists have a lot in common in the sense that their billionaires are just as thin-skinned as Brett Stevens and will lose their fucking minds over the slightest thing. And and like Peter Thiel destroying Gawker because they they outed him, which I mean. Maybe questionable decision, but still, Peter Thiel's a horrible piece of shit. But you know what I mean? Like, mm. the thin-skinned reaction and ability to bend reality to their will because they have so much money that, like, nothing right. is real to them. But bi- billionaires cry sometimes, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> they should we- all have to go on the Joe Rogan experience. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, I want to, before we go on, I do want to go back to that second title. Blaming, to try and parse it, blaming gold for the 1930s, meaning the Depression, is like Kim Jong-un blaming the foot for his height it's like he only has a reference pool of four different things he can draw on the foot as a unit of measure gold and then like to the popular culture of the 1990s what if kim jong-un actually does have one really small foot and that is why he's so small (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like damn what if my feet were like five feet taller (laughs) <laughs> platform feet <laughs> just, just like the same size apart from his shoes which are just the size of the world's largest man's shoes <laughs> you know you know what's so incredible about this so these are these are op-eds that this guy's written for on behalf of other people uh, or under his own well, name I think he writes on behalf of other people but he also writes he all of it's under his own name mm-hmm. some Imagine of it being called... an op-ed mercenary <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's exactly what he is he's like uh, an op-ed conditore right yeah. so so I'll imagine bids for anyone who's paying good money and I don't ask questions <laughs> <laughs> like imagine imagine I who's, mean conditore imagine who's paying this guy like this guy who lives in like the basement in elizabeth holmes's parents house like imagine who's paying this guy uh to plant these op-eds in probably major newspapers and stuff like where did these run do you know these are not running anywhere major (laughs) these are these are running in like reason okay or oh okay the mises institute's blog but but (laughs) it goes to show you how much of like so i mean if he was more successful he would actually just have a column at the new york times oh absolutely it goes to show you how much of like the discourse around like like the mainstream discourse around economics and stuff and taxation is literally just the result of like, like it's all just being greased by corporate money. It's these like astroturf think tanks, just like playing the discourse like a marionette. And so we have to read these dumb takes about here's why, like uh, here's why people need to stop being so hard on gold. Mm. <laughs> stop being mean to gold, gold Look, and billionaires. It's, it's very soft and malleable. If you hit it too <laughs> hard, it'll bend. It's an op ed on behalf of gold member. It's, it's, it's hard being, being mean to gold. In 2019. It just never reacts. <laughs> yeah. So I have actually two two of his other other incredible pieces that I've actually quoted from here. So here's the first. If Amazon is a sweatshop, why don't you tell me why so many people want to work there? 
We read this think of a single wow. reason. one of the guys who worked there. No, this is... Di- no, he does an even better job than Mims. Because Mims's whole argument was, Amazon's not perfect, but you know what? It's a job and I made friends there. So stop being mean to Bezos. That's kind of like a... You're ta- you're, oh, look, it's not perfect, but you guys are too hard on Amazon. What if the real Amazon was I the mean, friends you made along the way? I mean, slavery might be illegal, but people really seem to take advantage of it. So was it really bad? Almost. That's That's... What he says is even further than that. This is what Tamney says, why Amazon's so good. Um, Without an automated performance review that weeds out those that aren't up to the job, Amazon wouldn't be able to give a chance to the many individuals who are up to working for the Seattle retailer. Furthermore, how very cruel to the worker if the employer thinks so little of him as to not demand relentless betterment. So... This guy's name is Tammany, you said? Amazon Opportunity. So he's basically, maybe this is just actually a clever ruse and he's just Boss Tweed reincarnated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the same article coming around with a beard and then shaved. (laughs) (laughs) And throwing stones at Irish people for some reason. Um, And as individuals, we all remember, often fondly, the people who got more out of us than we thought we had. So he's basically saying is that Amazon, by paying you a pittance and fucking leaving your coworkers co- corpse on the floor for hours because they're too lazy to call an ambulance, is the same as like your high school coach who taught you to believe in yourself. Exactly the same. No <laughs> it's difference. Like, it's like it's like the movie Whiplash, right? <laughs> <laughs> Down to the look of the guy. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh, fuck. fuck J.K. Simmons that. to play Jeffrey Kisses. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos might have like um. A little uh, dashboard on his desk that shows if any worker is dipped below the um, the required productivity rate, and then it, he just h- hits a drone, and then that drone throws a symbol from orbit down into an Amazon warehouse and cuts your head off, and that's how you mm. know you can be the best picker you can be. Exactly, and then all the they're in the little cage and they're loading the boxes, but when they load the boxes right, it plays like the right bit of a drum set, and so <laughs> when they when they get into a good rhythm of loading the boxes, it plays a killer solo from like Metallica <laughs> or some shit. I mean. Uh, in effect, that it, he is making the whiplash argument, but for menial labor. Um, I love to I love to get world class at loading boxes into other boxes from my cage. <laughs> yeah, because all economic activities are the same; they're just remunerated by either by money, which also is the same, whether or not it's wages or capital. And we all have to be the best that we could possibly be. That's the reason that the Earth is there. Can, can you imagine if if economies really worked like that? Like, if in a capitalist society that you could actually just get so good at like stacking shelves that you could actually become a billionaire? Well, that's yeah. kind you're of just the, like I'm president now. That's kind, that is kind. Kind of like the fallacy that a lot of people over the age of 50 seem yeah. to still hold that if you want to be rich you just have to go work in the mailroom. Well there was a whole thing recently about like a lot of CEOs start out as fry cooks. It's like no they don't. No they do not. They do not start as <laughs> fucking fry cooks. Like that doesn't happen. Like some people I used to work in fast food when I was in school and like yes yeah, some people do eventually if they work in fast food long enough we're talking a decade get promoted to like work in a regional office. So like they don't have to like wear an apron anymore. But they're not going to be the fucking CEO. Those people get recruited from like CEO farms which are like people who play squash. And anyone who's, anyone who's anyone who's just had a normal <laughs> I played squash today. Hello. <laughs> anyone who's just had a normal job knows that that's not how like professional mobility mm. works. Like you don't start as a fry cook and then just get so good at being a fry cook that then you move on to the next thing and then eventually, you know, you're running Amazon. Like, that's not how it works. I think they all think of, like, the the, the hot Cheetos story. You know the hot Cheetos story about the guy guy in the factory who, like, accidentally made hot Cheetos because he felt that the normal Cheetos were too bland, so he put, like, hot 
like pepper on them. Is that real? This sounds like the thing the no, no, Doritos no, where it's like we smashed all the flavors together. It's the only example of meritocracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, story, the story itself is real, right? But it's not. Uh-huh. It's it's real in the sense of like the the mythology behind it is that this guy got a huge promotion. He became like an executive or something. I don't think that's true. I think that he got like a very small royalty on Hot Cheetos when the Cheetos company or like the guys who could like create Cheetos thought that it would just be like a kind of one-off product. I, mean, I don't know whether he still gets it now, but he's definitely not the CEO of like the fucking Cheetos yeah. factory. But I mean, the story may be a lie, but it tells a greater truth. <laughs> in, 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 a, in a similar vein, Mountain Dew's Baja Blast was actually just named in commemoration of a terrorist attack in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was how fun they all had going to see who let the dogs out. Um, but all of our dis- all of our discussion of that last article, I just reminded me that we were doing the thing. We were trying to persuade people, like professional economists do, that free markets are bad, and we forgot that um, Tamney, because he believes in himself, is an economist too, and a better one than he even thinks. Um, mm. So let's let's talk about his second and final article before we close the show out. Final article from Mr. Tamney is: Americans quite simply couldn't handle life without soaring inequality. <laughs> it is, He's such it is a love, piss pig. He just loves competition. They love parents' basements. <laughs> I forgot that. It's true. I, I mean, again, again, it's fucking whiplash, isn't it? It's like the, the idea that, like, unless I fucking torture you until your knuckles are bleeding on the drum kit, you will never be a good drummer. It is no, Hussein. It is still whiplash, but not for the reasons you're thinking. Okay, it's just so, the handshaking meme, but between this columnist and Joseph Ritzel's family. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like. I mean, the American, these supposed good old days of America that everyone look, looks back to is basically like one weekend in 1959. But like that, at that time in which segregation was still around and all these other horrible things were still around, like the top tax rates for, for earners were above 90%. Like the idea that America doesn't function without inequality. I'm like, yes, in terms of like rapacious slavery capitalism, it might not. But in terms of like America being a stable society in which like gains are distributed, and I'm putting a huge caveat there that they were absolutely segregated along race. Uh, we had a much more dis- redistributive system back then. No. Now it's just, I mean, put it this way. Back then, CEOs might have been like extremely Instagram personalities, but they didn't have as much money and there were no Wyatt Cokes. Yeah. So for the small price of just bringing back racial segregation, we can actually solve. No, I'm joking. Oh, I was going to say, oh, I didn't. I mentioned Moldberg. When did you come in here? <laughs> Listen, I hate racial, racial segregation as much as the next guy, but it's going to stop the billionaire. Um, man, that's a real. That's a real Nazbol. Actually, argument. no, the billionaires would probably love that. Yeah. I'm fairly sure they would. So, so here is the argument: uh, Americans quite simply couldn't handle life without soaring inequality. By Pakistani standards, Karachi is an advanced town. Not only is it the country's most populous place, it's also its most important industrial financial center. Most Americans, however, couldn't comfortably or even happily last an hour in Karachi. The poverty even would an hour. Fi- not an hour. Not an airport. This man transfer. has never been to Pakistan. Like there are rich people in Pakistan. Right. And, and, and if you, he's, and if he's you go to the rich, if and Pakistan if you, is worse than Elizabeth Holmes' parents' basement, then and, and and if you go to Karachi, what you find is that the rich people live in like segregated areas. So like, you know, if you go to like a rich suburb in Karachi, it basically looks like a street in California. Yeah. And in fact, if you want to talk, look, he, his argument here, right, is that Pakistan is very, very poor, and the poorest Americans couldn't handle living there. Um, because it doesn't have enough inequality, because not enough innovation happened. But Pakistan's wealth is controlled like 98% by 22 families. Also, right. there's parts of America, like in the Deep South, for example, or places that are off the grid in like Indian country that are absolutely 
levels of deprivation that are comparable to places in the world like Pakistan. So I just remember we're doing it again. We're trying to say the free market's bad, but we forgot that John Tamney has the self-confidence to be an economist and a better one than he thinks. Can't believe we all can't believe we're doing being so Stalinist. Keep stumbling into that one. <laughs> so here's he's um, actually doing like a weird like woke identity politics thing. He's like, well, what if actually my experience of economics is more important than the fact <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of the only thing conservative economics has left. Yeah, it's just I, mm, but I I know this is wrong, but it still feels right. So here's what he says. He says, never forget what wealth creation is. It's the process whereby entrepreneurs mass produce the former luxuries of the rich. They make it possible for us to summon the world's plenty, all with the click of a mouse, to dial up endless amounts of information just by inserting what we want to know about into a search bar on a computer. Plus, they connect us all around the world for next to nothing. I'm just going to say this. What does that have to do with Pakistan? (laughs) It's, it's, it's plainly, What's the link to Pakistan? I just don't get it. It's plainly in front of your face, Nate. N- Pakistan doesn't have the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't no, have refrigerators. No they don't have cars. They no only have the online. Muslim Bible. <laughs> they just still like sell stuff out of carts. But like, yeah. they're all entrepreneurs, and one of those people will end up growing up, and they will end up being the new Michael Jordan who gives up basketball to play baseball mm. with some cartoon characters. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing, actually. When when SEAL Team 6 shot Osama bin Laden in the face at point-blank range, he was like, oh, thank God. I yeah. hate Pakistan so much. Bring on the sweet release of death. Do you know you can't even get dial-up here? It's crazy. <laughs> you used to run a wire between two pomegranates. Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, that's a good I've been thing. having to get porn over a WAP phone. The only thing, he, he tried to think of all of the luxuries of the world and he because he's looking at a computer this i think john tamney doesn't have object permanence he can only write about what he's looking at at the time Mm. and so that's why his book is all just endless sports metaphors (laughs) because you're just watching sports he's really distracted deeply into his dvd of space jam it's like antenna tv so he can only watch seinfeld and just like the (laughs) channel that plays space jam on repeat (laughs) (laughs) it makes sense that he would compare this to all these pop culture things because his one hour of tv he's allowed to watch (laughs) his parents' basement tends to be reruns of shows like Seinfeld. He has to put in the coin and it keeps like shutting out. (laughs) He concludes, concludes, if I don't keep putting in the coin, the TV doesn't, the TV won't start again. Why can't America realize this? (laughs) Whether it's Silicon Valley, Hollywood, or Wall Street wealth, the greatest fortunes earned in each industry are much more often than not a consequence of mass producing former luxuries or financing the mass production of former luxuries. As the wealth gap increases, the lifestyle gap plummets. You know, like how the uh, Sackler family uh, increased everyone's lifestyles by like flooding the entire United States with yeah, like, the, cheap like, opiates. Previously, um, opiates ha- were like a luxury good, and now you can just get them easily. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. everyone will have a yacht. That's how it works. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They'll all be able to attack Irish singers. <laughs> <laughs> even, even they'll have yachts. Yeah. They're saying it was a speedboat. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do this joke. We're going to do it right. Finally <laughs> doing the nautical episode. Jonathan, like, look, Tamney from his from his post in Elizabeth Holmes' parents' basement knows. That's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. It's depressing me. If you think about these as posts, it's even funnier. Like, these are just long. These are long Facebook. They're, they're long Facebook posts, and everyone comes with a picture of a different minion. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh-huh. some things in America bad, sure, but things in America are also good. And if you go to somewhere like Pakistan, it's bad. And is dirty and like you know some of them they you know you can't even get a sex robot there you know what i'm saying guys (laughs) gold standard minions Uh. 
Anyway, mm. so um, we've been going for quite a while here. Uh, so I think it, it falls now to me, as it does every week, to thank Luke so much for coming on to the podcast today. Yeah, every single week I'm here. And you can thank yeah. me again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Just always thank Luke. Yeah. And you so can also check for out... Thanks this time. <laughs> Finally. And also, if you want to hear more of Luke talking, you can check out his show, Michael and Us. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a podcast. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. We're on wherever fine, uh, fine podcasts are sold. We also have a Patreon. So please give us your money. We're on coin-operated TVs. In <laughs> <laughs> Just coin-operated podcast. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, and also, we've got a Patreon. You know all about that. Second episode every week, five bucks. Mm-hmm. Make sure if you're in Canada, however, there's a damn election and you're supposed to vote in it. Please vote. Yes, vote. And again, vote NDP. Unless you have a big fancy boat, in which case we don't trust you to vote NDP. So just go hang out on your boat. Exactly. Avoid I hear there are lots of McCall, though. <laughs> I hear there are lots of Irish singers in the Bermuda Triangle that you might want to check out. Um, Milo, do you have any dates? Uh, do I have any dates? When's this coming out? Monday. 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 Oh, Monday, yeah. Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. I have a smoke comedy on the 23rd of October uh, where uh, da- Dan Muggleton, Trash Eats Champion, is going to be there. Victor Petrashkin, also Trash Eats Champion. Pope Lonergan, another Trash Eats Champion. They're all going to be there. It's going to be compared by me. Come down to that. There'll be a link in the description. Fantastic. Anyone else have anything they want uh, people to know? A uh, new episode to- of yeah. Well, There's Your Problem on Do Not Eat's YouTube channel. Uh, oh, it's got a name. Yeah, if we're going to like um by this time probably four. And the next one is going to be fuck, what is the next one gonna be? Oh yeah, the um uh Hyancy Hyacy Regency Hyatt walkway collapse. Okay, perfect. So look, you've all got a lot you got a lot on your plate now. Canadians, you've got voting, you've got lots of podcasts to listen to, you gotta fly over to the UK, you gotta come to smoke comedy. And um oh no, what's that? I think the coin you put into the the old podcast machine is finally run out of juice. So bye everybody. Bye.